silence those cell phones because we are back at the nao movies everyone first things first let me introduce myself i am coming to you today from the land of the chumash the tongva and the fernandeño tatavium people uh the native land and i am the brazilian dragon himself felipe and today we are talking about spirits of the air gremlins of the clouds and I am not alone. I am joined by someone who always believes she can fly. It is Naomi Calhoun, the titular Naomi movie herself. Naomi, how are you doing this fine Thursday evening? We come to the Naomi movies for magic. We come to the Naomi movies to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling when we get, we get with a ah, I give up. Uh, I'm great. Heartbreak I'm feels good in a podcast like this. yeah podcasting feels good in a nail movies like this um i'm very psyched to be here uh right now i am in hobo junction new york aka the land of the uh eric boy which uh i got to learn so much about when i was a kid and i i appreciate all that new york state does to teach me about them but i'm at the nail movies with you guys and i'm so excited to talk about uh, a film that i never would have saw out or I'd never even heard of but now I am very into it and I can't wait to get into it more with, yes uh, our amazing guest yes let me introduce our guest you know her best from the crime scene RHAP podcast probably um but I know her best from the Survivor South Africa Clubhouse chats the Clubhouse Panagia chats um which we can talk more about later, what we're planning to do for four nights a week coverage of Survivor South Africa. But you're not here to listen about Survivor. You're here to listen to the lovely Sarah Carradine, a.k.a. Sarah from Sydney. Sarah, how are you doing this lovely Friday morning, I believe? It's Friday morning, and I am here podcasting from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation. This land uh, was never ceded. Sovereignty remains with the traditional owners. And how wonderful to be here. Oh, Clubhouse, R.I.P. What happened? R.I.P. I feel like now everyone's on Twitter spaces, but I still have the Clubhouse app. I was there when Francesca was the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Where uh, were you? Thank you so much for allowing me to bring you this incredible movie that has lived rent-free in my head since 1988. Yeah. Um, so Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds, an independent Australian um um, feature the 
early work of uh, some people who went on to have great careers, particularly the editor, Craig Wood, whose extraordinary uh, Hollywood career uh, is and continues, and uh, as well as uh, various other people who we'll talk about, I'm sure, along the way. And it was remastered uh, recently. It spent a very long time in um, up in the clouds somewhere, not the cloud, but clouds, unsearchable, unseeable. Um, the the copyright ownership for some of it was was unknown and unknowable. But the director Alex Proyas had the uh, the original master. And the uh, sound designer and composer Peter Miller had the original uh, Dolby uh, sound design, and so this this remaster is incredible. I was talking to Peter last night, and he said it just looks so good, and it sounds so good, uh, and, and is now available. So yes. a whole new generation can can enter this incredible world. Yeah, and just to give uh, any American listeners who want to check this out i know in america it's available for a dollar on amazon prime rental and then also i watched it with the great sarah noir uh and she got it off of youtube i think is where she purchased it from so those are some options i and if you this is not a sponsor but just watch is one of my favorite websites if i'm ever craving a movie it just tells me where i can go for it so uh if you're interested in checking it out but we will be talking about the movie Full spoilers. Um, so, uh, Naomi, I don't, I, I don't know if the YouTube. I haven't looked, seen it because I, I watched it. If you're in Australia, you can watch it on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, that okay. comes with your membership. Uh, that is the remaster. I don't know if, if, um, if the YouTube rip is the remaster or not. Oh, actually, if they're if they're asking you to pay for it, it'll be, um, it'll be the remaster. Yeah, um, and it looked amazing, like in original four three definition. Like it was visually and audit auditorily uh or i don't know the word uh those things were really standouts for me like the the production design and the sound design specifically stood out to me watching this movie uh naomi first first impressions of this movie uh what did you think i for a long time have been a an absolute hater and an absolute uh speaker of the anti desaturation gospel i hate movies with gray and bleak and you know like i've seen some movies where of course it's necessary but they also managed to have life to them i'm thinking about like children yeah. of men for example the the minute this movie started the the saturation just made me so happy which is like such a film nerd thing to say right but it's so beautifully colored and there's so much texture and life within the visuals of the frame. And so for me, I was in from the beginning because I think that, you know, when you read, like a, when you read the description of it, right? Like brother and sister endure alone together in a post-apocalyptic, oh my God, a post-apocalyptic outback until the sudden arrival, arrival of a stranger. You think, oh my God, apocalypse. It's going to be some desaturated nonsense, but it reminds me a lot, uh, not just because I'm Australian, but it reminds me a lot of the colors of like uh, Mad Max Fury Road. It reminds me of finding beauty in like the desert rather than saying well, it's desolate and there's something there. So we're not going to. We're all better call Saw watchers. And I feel like it 
was vibrant in a similar way that the Breaking Bad universe chooses to be vibrant in those scenes instead of like dark and gritty. Although um, I'll say I've been I've been rewatching uh not rewatching I've never seen Breaking Bad in its entirety so I'm watching Breaking Bad. Um, I've seen look I've seen like the first season and I'd seen the ending. I well, literally have I'm seen not going to judge you too hard because I only watched Breaking Bad in 2019. So I wish this was on video because you should have seen our faces. <laughs> yeah, you both you both gave me the like. I assume everyone who watches Better Call Saul watched Breaking Bad, so maybe I that's, mean my boyfriend yeah. watched Breaking Bad, so he just tells me if something's relevant. But I know like you know a lot of the characters. I know like yeah, even you know pop culture. Of... You know who Gus Fring is before he shows up. In yeah, but I also know like Huel and stuff. Like I I know the random bits, but. I should say that I think this this blows Breaking Bad out of the water. Breaking Bad oh, is like, okay, it's sure. Mexico, okay, it's or you know, Better Call Saul, much better. Better Call Saul is the superior show. Don't at me. But retweet, uh, I'm here with you. This this is like Quote even tweet. better. Yes. Queen. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so uh not to like dive into like Australian movies so much, but like yes, Naomi, yes. how how familiar were you with like the Australian cinema? landscape previously because i'm i just googled famous australian movies to see how many of these i had seen Mm -hmm. and the fact that like one of them is a disney movie rescuers down under that that did not meet the assignment i don't think um i i've seen crocodile dundee but i part of me wants to say that's also an american movie parodying australian culture um, I mean, and then there's Sarah, another what's one. your take on Crocodile Dundee being considered part of Australian oh, cinema? Well, I mean, it is. It, yeah. it is because that there's a part of of that. Um, uh, it's interesting because that's another thing that that we were chatting about last night, like Australianness. And there used to be, I'm not sure now, but you know, the Film Commission and the Arts Council and all, all of that. <clears throat> and I was applying for because I'm in the performing arts. I've also been applying for grants for many years. And they used to say, like, how is this Australian? You know, uh, justify that this is Australian. And we don't want to be throwing shrimps on Barbies and we, we necessarily, and we don't want that, um, you know, there has to be a koala in frame or something like that. Or a kangaroo, so, or a kangaroo jack. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this movie is so Australian, but why and how? And is I'm excited to dig in to that with you and i'm really we're both very interested to hear what you think what you both think and why is it distinctly australian i mean it's made in australia by australians it is ipso facto australian um and i think that crocodile dundee was made for an american audience it's an australian film uh australian uh, performers for the most part but very much made for the for the outside gaze and I think the Australianness in a film like um, uh, Spirits, a film like Noise, more recently, it's for an Australian audience, and, yeah. and you are welcome to watch it and and experience it, and and you must. But it's not trying to perform its Australianness for an outside gaze. I suppose that's the clearest yeah. I can get. The only Australian movie that I remember, like besides Crocodile Dundee, watching is uh is uh Rabbit Proof Friends, which was very mm-hmm. depressing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we watched that in seventh grade on the last day of seventh grade. They threw it on like as our like movie what? before the summer. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah so, American uh, public school system, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, but, but like, yeah. why, why is he just on like the Goonies or something? Which is like, 
you know. I don't know. It might not have been the last day of school, but it felt like the last day of school. Like, I know we watched a movie in seventh grade on the last day of school. Um, It was either that or uh, what's the Shia LaBeouf movie, the Disney Channel one, True Confessions, maybe? Is that the one? I mean, Rabbit Proof Fence is a fantastic film and people people should and must see it um if you care about cinema if you care about australian history it's um it's really really good but i don't know if it's a if it's a celebratory end of a year uh, film um naomi for children i'm gonna mark this down uh the magic pudding seems like another movie that we could talk about in the future just based on the name alone i the cut and come again oh this is a this is a, a book written by one of our uh, uh, favorite uh, old artists um artists from the past uh, called norman Lindsay. uh he lived in the blue mountains he drew um nude ladies which was very scandalous uh and he also wrote uh, this very whimsical story of the magic pudding the magic pudding is a cut and come again pudding. So you just tell the pudding what flavor you would like. So it's any flavor. It could be savory. It could be sweet. And you cut your slice and it comes again whole. However, the pudding is also uh, talks and runs and does things. So you are eating your companion. And uh, Bunyip Bluegum is with him and they adventure all around through the Australian, uh, uh, through the Blue Mountains. And it's completely delightful because the pudding is rude and swears and does terrible things. Um, So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm seeing the description. A wombat is one of the pudding thieves. And yes, pudding thieves. Yeah, I I don't want to like be like, oh, I love this part of it. I love wombats so much. One of my favorite Mm -hmm. animals. Let's ask Josh Wigler to be on this podcast because he also loves wombats. I was into wombats in high school. I was into wombats before it was, oh my God, look at that. Before it was a thing with Josh Wigler. No offense to Josh Wigler. Well, I think Josh Wigler was also into wombats before it became an RGB thing. Yeah, exactly. Like wombats are, they they have persisted through time, you know, as one of the great animals. I'll say- Jumping back to the bigger question about like Australian cinema for me. So I, this movie, I think ties into one of my favorite film podcasts, which is called Blank Check Griffin and David, uh, my friends, uh, Griffin Newman and Davidson's talking about um, the movies that start a director's career. And then when they're given the blank check, what do they do with it? So like, think about like M. Night Shyamalan or like a Steven Spielberg but someone that they covered is George Miller and I mentioned George Miller earlier and to me um, he is who I think of when I think of uh, like an Australian auteur and I think in particular he is really funny really creative but also his I believe his wife is his editor and she is an incredible editor um, and that's not to say that if you want to learn more about like George Miller, go listen to that podcast. This, I feel like, is the beginning of Alex Proyas's career in like, this is the movie that gets him the blank check to make what he wants to make. And then he, he carries on. And so I'm really excited to talk about it because I think it's got a lot going on. and i'm really psyched and one more thing before we jump into the recap uh i told you in the pre-show but this reminded me of like some spanish films that i watched in like spanish class in middle school or like brazilian movies like it felt unique to the culture and i appreciated that and like i think american cinema is so 
big and bombastic in a way, regardless of what the genre is. And like, it has this like American touch, but like it felt very, uh, it felt reminiscent of those experiences watching this movie, uh, of watching like something like Black Orpheus, which is a different movie, but it reminded me of something like that, uh, which is a Brazilian movie. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Should we get into the recap? Yes, let's. And it's a very simple Let's plot, go. if I do say so myself, right, Sarah? Like, yes. it's not, it's not the, it's a cast of three characters for the most part, with a couple of like people walking in the background. It's, uh, there's a core cast Him. of, the uh, let me look at their names, because I meant to write this down. Uh, it's Reese something of the air. Sorry, this is <laughs> great podcasting. <laughs> No, she was I, Melissa. She was Melissa uh, uh, Davis when she made the movie, and that goes by Reese. Reese Davis, uh, mm. Michael Lake, and Michael Norman Lake. Boyd, or the Norm. The Norm, yes, credited exactly. in the movie. Uh, I yeah. thought I was like, "Who's the Norm?" <laughs> yeah, um, this is these... this is the Norm's only only uh, credit on IMDb. Yeah, he reminded me a little bit of Cody, um, the guy from The Power of the Dog. What's his name? Cody. Cody uh, Smith McPhee. Oh yeah, I I was like I do not know that his name, but that he is also oh I, if we're gonna talk about Australians, you know we can't forget about James Gambian. I was like of course, but I, I think that Michael and, Lex, and, I think Michael Lex in Sweetie actually Sweetie is is one to very much look out one of Jane Campion's early works. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, um, oh, I think and, in general I should say I think everybody who's listening could do. A world of good by exploring cinema outside of the United States. I think that mm-hmm. in general, whether it's a, like a foreign film from a country that doesn't speak English, or like Australia, or even England, or you know, go out and like expand a little bit because there's so much, there's so much good to be found, especially yeah. if you're like bored of all the same same shit. There's can I like- t- can I tell you one of my my bugbears? It doesn't matter now, and I've I've let it go. I've been like Elsa. I'm one with the wind and the rain, or whatever it is. Uh, I have let it go. But in the old days, uh, kids ask your parents when we would go to the the film shop, the 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 DVD shop, and prior to that, they were um, VHS tapes because VHS won against Beta. That's a very interesting old <laughs> argument. But you used to go to the shop and you would look along to see what you might like. You might like a comedy, you might like a drama. And there used to be, uh, so it was in sections, um, and one of the sections was foreign films. And slowly over time I thought, hold on, all the films in this shop are foreign except the Australian films. So we did that as well. We accept American culture um, as our own. It's a bit of a, a, a monolith. So I would, and that is not to say it's bad, um, but I would encourage, and thank you for encouraging uh, our listeners to, your listeners and mine today, yes. to watch films that that are not American or to seek out older independent um, US films. Don't be afraid of subtitles, but if you are a little bit afraid of subtitles, just go to countries uh, where the dominant uh, language is English and you will find uh, English yeah. films, you know, Irish films. I remember you know. when Parasite won, people were like, oh, wait, foreign films are actually good. I was like, duh. We've been telling you. Oh, if I could give a recommendation, one of my all-time favorite movies is Central Station. Uh, it's a Brazilian movie. 
it was nominated for a best international film in the 1997 Oscars, but also Fernanda Montenegro uh, was um, nominated for best actress that year. Um, and it's just like this beautiful story that I really love. And it encapsulates so many different regions of Brazil in the story. Um, and that's one of my favorite movies. Um, Naomi, Sarah, do you have a favorite movie that you want to tell the listeners to check out at this moment of time from the international zeitgeist? Well, just from, from Naomi's blank check theory, um, it would be interesting, I think, for people to go and watch Strictly Ballroom, which was uh, Baz Luhrmann's first film. Oh. And see see what he did before he had the blank check. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not a favorite, but I like it very much. That's like the perfect example of like blank check. I mean, I love Jordan David's podcast is so so good, and they did Jane Campion as well, I should say. But it's it's uh, there's a movie I really want to watch. It's like one of Sam Raimi's original films, and like if you just go back and watch not the new stuff that a director makes, but like when they were at their scrappiest most artistic um it's uh it's just great i mean for me i was absolutely obsessed with the worst person in the world which is nominated for an oscar this year and obsessed with drive my car and i think oh those are drive both, my car is wonderful yeah. oh i loved it loved it loved it, loved it loved it you're do not get me started on coda winning the oscar i will we this podcast will be like eight hours long and nobody will listen to it and it'll be like my manifesto but <laughs> Those two films are like incredible pieces of cinema. And it's a shame that even though they're nominated, that you sit there and you're like, well, they just have no chance of winning because they're foreign, but they are way better than Coda and they are way better than Belfast. Even though I guess Belfast might be technically a foreign film as well. Like mm -hmm. they just blow those films out of the water. Um, so worst person in the world. I, highly, highly, I mean, highly don't look up got nominated and I wanted to rage. So oh, can well, it was a film. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I, I actually quite, I quite like Don't Look Up. I know everybody hates it. I, I didn't mind it. But then I was I, watching it. I don't think a, it should have been a best picture. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, I can certainly um, give a list for the show notes of, of, of my favourite um, Australian yeah. films. But I did mention Noise, and it's one, it's an enduring one uh, for me. It's 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 an older movie now uh, we were making incredible movie we we yeah. the collective we uh in the 70s um and 80s there's a film called um uh oh, wake and fright uh the original wake and fright it's absolutely extraordinary um if you like uh if you like to look at some seedy underbelly Australianness, uh, Donald Pleasance is in it and is horrifying. Um, and it's it looks at the it comes from a novel, and it looks at the the sort of the underside of that larrikin Australian maleness. Um, and again, that's also been remastered, and it's it's oh the hair standing up on my arm just thinking about it. But we also make cheerful films, you know. We make yeah. Muriel's Wedding. Uh, not one of my favorites, it. but it's it's something to watch, and I know a lot of people really really love it. So I'm not gonna, you know, Three speak years against ago, it. I meant to watch the Pia Miranda Australian film, but uh, um, looking for Ella Brandy. Is that one good? It, it it's a film. Okay. <laughs> it's not it's not a bad film. It's just not one that that I. What kind of it, genre is not... it? Is it like comedy? Is it drama? Is it uh, coming of age? Coming, coming of age. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. You know. 
Yeah. Well, I, I already came of age of last century. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have to do something very special now with coming of age for me, but I don't want to do it down. It's like, it's one of those ones. It, it, and I love Pierre and she's great. And I was thrilled that she was on Survivor and uh, looking for Ella Brandy was a really important uh, movie at the time. Uh, and for the people who were around that age or, or a little older. So I, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm. No, you're um, good. But, you know, if I'm going to say that I love something or that I, that in my opinion, it's really good, um, it has to be a standout. And um, yeah. yeah, we had a, in Australia, we had a tax break called 10BA. Um, and in that, if you put money into a film, you would get 150% credit on your tax. So if you put in 100000 suddenly you have $150,000 tax-free. That's the simplistic way of, of explaining it. And this was in the early 80s, and it was meant to stimulate the film industry. And at the time, I was um, a member of the AFI, the Film Institute, so I was voting on the on the awards, and you had to see everything. You had to see at least half of every film that you in the category you were voting for and uh, on occasion uh, I once I did get stopped by an usher and sent back in you've got to go in back in for another five minutes sorry they said I mean I tried to see them all anyway the my my point and I do have one is uh, that a lot of films were made just for the sake of it in the beginning in the early 80s and they are referred to certainly by me or people of my vintage as 10BA movies. Um, that is to say that I've seen, just any way I've seen a lot of bad stuff because I have quite a high tolerance for trash. Um, but I, I think also... Nicole Byer recently defined her television, t- uh, her, herself as a trash, a TV raccoon, mm-hmm. which I love that. So oh, I'll, uh... I'll, watch, I'll, I'll, I'll watch anything. I'll read almost anything. Uh, I did resist romance novels, but because um, uh, now you Kinnis cover Bridgerton, has, so yeah, you yeah, yeah, exactly. I've I've finally given in there. But what I'm trying to say is, if I say something is really good and I recommend it, it's it's tip tip top. And so if I hesitate about looking for Ella Brandy, it's only just because it's not in my tip tip top yeah uh, rank. Um, but this movie is tip tip top rank, I believe, for you, correct? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so let's talk about it. So like we said, there's not a whole detailed plot. It is a 90 minute movie, but um, a lot of it is just aesthetic, which sure. I appreciated. Like the sound design got to like shine, the production design, um, the color I think was exciting to see. Um, and so like literally in my notes, the first thing I have is opening Australia shots of like, not Australian is more expansive than just these like, little bungalow in in the middle of the mountains in the deserts but um it's just like this establishing shots that are so gorgeous like the orange off of the blue sky is so powerful um and that's that's really like the aesthetic jumped out immediately yes that that is uh, yes it's saturated but that's actually the color that's actually the color that it is if you go out to yeah. uh broken hills so it was filmed uh in three sections um out in the mundi mundi plains which are just there near broken hill that's that red desert blue sky and um felipe you had a question for peter about the how was the aesthetic uh chosen what was the inspiration and peter said well really it was very much being out there 
uh, the color of the earth. Uh, he said, you'll notice there's no greens in the film at all. So it's the ochres and the reds and and this incredible uh, blue sky. So yeah. they filmed out there about two and a half weeks. Uh, the shoot was uh, for the exteriors. And then they came to the studio to do the interiors. And then uh, a year later, they went back out to the Mundi Mundi Plains to do the special effects. So I have some information on that for you as yeah. well. But yeah, that is that opening shot of a uh, person we find out is Smith. Smith walking uh, forward, almost leaning into a wind um, through these extraordinary landscapes of, of uh, repeated patterns of broken cars, uh, flags, um, strange Yeah, I noticed the cars that were like kind of upside down. Is that like a monument or did they build that for the movie? I meant to ask Peter. I Part of me thinks it's actually there and then part of me thinks they built it. So I would say they probably built it. There okay. may have been a uh, Sorry, Pete, because he's going to listen to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could put it in the show notes. But, um, yeah, this, this, this repeating pattern and this soul figure, tall and slim, uh, very much the aesthetic of male beauty at the time, the late 80s, that new romantic look when we actually see him sort of a sinewy, tall, floppy hair uh, and Betty's uh, costumes very much the, what we were wearing at the time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, speaking of Betty, we see her playing, I think that's a mandolin. I'm not 100%. It's a, a made instrument. It's a constructed instrument. Okay. It, yeah, it's uh, an instrument that's like a long... I mean, Naomi, you're the, you're the orchestra band person. Here, what what would you describe that instrument as? How would you describe it? Does she she kind of well she plays it with a bow, right? So yeah, it, I it you know felt like a cello. But what I what I loved about um, this entire movie, um, and and I loved about the production design itself, uh, because I think a lot of people don't consider that somebody has to pick and choose every little item that goes into what we see on screen, especially all the props and the set. And I think the production design is, uh, first of all, like you said, Sarah, there's no green in this film. And it just shows like these people are living off of exactly what they have known and have been brought up in their whole lives. They don't go anywhere. They only know this red and blue desert. And um, for me, I loved that, you know, she makes her own instruments and, you know, he builds these, these, flying machines but then also there's so many other details that we'll see within the world that are clearly you know it feels very scavenged and it feels post-apocalyptic my god that word is I didn't think that word was so hard to say you know that whole RuPaul's Drag Race meme but now I'm like why is that word so hard to say it feels very you know like post-apocalyptic fucking (laughs) it's handmade it's handmade everything's handmade everything's handmade yeah oh, and, and, no not handmaid's tale handmade everything everything's oh handmade, handmade. i was like yeah thing. yeah we tale. everything's not it's everything's not a bummer tale. and women have no it's, rights it's interesting that that um the film description that that you read out uh, felipe and it's certainly everywhere where i looked at the film it says post-apocalyptic but does the film tell us that it is no, yeah, I, I didn't even that's... pick up that it was post-apocalyptic until like this discussion i was like oh this is just like this like family living in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean Felix has a has a wonderful one of my favorite moments 
is when he talks about, oh, in the book, and there's this old almost, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica. It says in the book and the illustrations of the people in the book, they have trees and their clothes are clean. And imagine what that would have been like. And you think, oh, has that gone? But then you think, well, it might just have gone for these two. Their father, their their religious maniac father, took them out to the desert and then there they are. So you could think that over the mountains is, is just a, an ordinary city, except for who is Smith and then who are the mysterious uh, pursuers. Yeah, I had like chasers i wrote down like these people are chasing him like they're like Mm -hmm. pursuing him so Mm -hmm. it felt like he was on the run and maybe that's just my interpretation because i might have left this movie a little bit confused because it was so self-contained that i felt like there might have been more that i was missing just based on the dialogue but um it felt like he was being pursued by Mm -hmm. some people and then he all of a sudden is taking a bubble bath in their abode not a bubble bath, like just a bath, but I wrote bubble bath because um, <laughs> ain't well, no bubbles. <laughs> my 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 assumption was, you know, I read post apocalyptic, and to me, uh, <laughs> God, that was so like. If I don't think about it, it'll be fine. But I think about it now. Um, is my thought was that you know it, it's all about like the territory and the you know he's worried about getting past some people, and he's you know making it to the the north, right, and so. He, you know, he wants to fly and get past them. And so it felt very like, this is the territory. This is where you're trying to escape to. And I thought that it was, I really liked, uh, I love a movie like this where it's like, they're helping this ruffian, they're helping this stranger, um, but everybody is getting something out of it. Although I don't know, I don't know what Betty's really particularly getting out of it, uh, she feels like she's having a nervous breakdown is what she's getting out of it. But this was, there were so many details that unfolded over time. And that's uh, the best part. You open with a mystery and you explain it and you explain it and you explain it. And so that's what I really appreciated. It got you from the start with, with Betty sort of freaking out about his, uh, his approach. And then it, it opened up the book and explained kind of everything about what was going on. Well, while not being right in your face. You know, nobody yeah. said like, yeah, the Ravagers came and then we all had to run to the desert. And yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like that idea of, you know, is it is it a a not too distant future? Is it a, an alternative present or is it an actual present that you would actually go out to the desert and find this brother and sister? Uh, breaking news. The cars are miniatures. Oh, oh, interesting. So. Uh, they had oh, their own a picture card department cars. doing all that. They had, they had a yeah. There were little miniatures and 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 models and uh, and if you look at the at the credits, it's a very tight crew. Yeah. Yep. Also, Felipe, that yep. wouldn't be a picture card because those can't drive. <laughs> True. <laughs> that would be the art department, but yeah. So it, uh, I mean, it, it's worth saying. I'm sorry, we're jumping around a bit because I just have so much to say about this movie. No, Please, all good. All- I also want to shut up and listen to what you have to say. So I've, I've kind of, I'm, I'm a bit, a little bit caught, but um, no special, no special effects. Yeah. Everything is, I mean, as was the time plus the budget, uh, it's all practical effects and uh, in camera effects. Yeah. Which I um, find really exciting. I, I am gonna, when you're saying something, I want to look up like the conversion rate for the time because I want to just kind of like emphasize to American 
centric audiences, like the budget for because it's I think five hundred thousand Australian dollars, right? Um, Let me. I have the. I got that Wikipedia page up. Uh, yeah, Australian five hundred thousand. Okay. Um, yeah. I I also have to say that for me, uh, we, we can start off. I think talking about everybody's individual performances, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, let's do that. Because the, the plot, this plot of this movie is like so straightforward, but there's so much within the very simple actions that happen. So we, don't, you know, so we have Felix and Betty Crabtree, brother and sister. Felix is in a wheelchair, um, and I would call him an inventor type. Um, he is uh, a thinker, someone who is constantly building and creating. Uh, and then there's also uh, Smith, who is the the ruffian, the fugitive, the the runaway, the mysterious man. He's got some scars on his back. And and Betty, uh, the sort of more religious of the two. And what I appreciated, because at first I was worried that Betty was going to be kind of a lunatic that made no sense. And I actually think that Betty had a lot of thought behind her character. Now that's not all up to, you know, Reese Davis, but I think that I... I was worried that it was going to be like, you know, this woman is a lunatic and this woman's crazy and we see that, but very clearly she just feels her religious fervor so deeply and she feels like so nervous about upsetting the stasis that is her and her brother. Um, And I really enjoyed her performance and I love the makeup on her as well. Yes, well, this is... um... Oh no, I've lost the page of what the makeup artist, but he he went on to work extensively for RuPaul, uh, and you can see in Betty's makeup now with our eye now. I mean, I was going to drag shows in the eighties, but I think in terms of 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 a visual aesthetic that's more um, more widespread now, you can see a very drag aesthetic with her costuming and her makeup. But I will say, having been a young woman at that time, it's not that much different from how we were dressing in the street, like literally. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's a dragged up and extended version of it. I mean, I, I appreciate what you say because it, it seems like, oh, it's just the mad sister. But she has that extraordinary moment where she gets Smith alone. She says, oh, now we're alone. Let me warn you about my brother. He's crazy. <laughs> it's, like, it's stunning. It's a stunning piece of uh, work. And, um, yes, please go on. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the individual performances. Like, each character felt lived in and unique. Um, that, like, the uh, one of the this moments of the movie was their first dinner scene where Smith is there and they're like, I felt like everyone got to shine and show off their individual characters, but then also you got to see the group dynamic, which I liked. Um, And that was like kind of the first introduction of Felix also in terms of what his motivations are. Um, And he wants to fly and, uh, the whole movie, I thought that was going to be this whole mystery. Like we see throughout the movie, like Betty praying to her father and saying he's on his ideas again about flying. Um, so like, I thought I even texted you, Sarah, I was like, Sarah and I predict that uh, there's this backstory revelation that Felix broke his legs flying or got paralyzed trying to do that. And no, it's just a simple movie about like family and uh, invention. Um, so just to add to like, each individual performance like you think there's one thing but then it's actually much layered like this is a spoiler podcast but betty's arc of like 
no, she doesn't want her brother to leave. I found that very powerful by the time we got there. Cause yes, like Naomi said, we assumed she was just this like um, interesting, unique, maybe a little uh, unhinged woman at the time, but uh, she's no, she's just loves her brother and she is a very quirky person, but she doesn't want him to leave. And, and, you know, damaged by their father, it must be said that he hauled them out to this desert and inculcated them what's particularly her with the idea of religiosity she sees smith and she's afraid and she runs to find her brother i mean it's a, such a great opening so we've we've seen smith sort of walking against the wind uh, for and, and he arrives through their through their gate and her fear of an outsider it's a brilliant setup she runs she can't find her brother and then she finds him in the invention shed so we we already have the stranger from outside, the quirky, strange uh, woman and the inventor in the shed, you know, within the first um, few minutes of the film. She's worried he's a demon. Yeah. Um, And and he is. And he is to some extent. I mean, I think everybody should be worried that all men are demons. I think it's only worried. Well, he does. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, you know, a uh, uh, non-consensual kiss. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I did some research. Uh, I ch- did the value of 1989 Australian dollars to today's Australian dollars, and that's a million 177,252 and seven cents. And then for US conversion, that would be about a million $282,000 is the budget of this movie. So like we said, it's very low budget in comparison to like everything else that is being made today. Well, young filmmakers go out and make a film for, you know, a small amount of money. Yeah. Over time. And that's the thing that Naomi's always like told me as like an aspiring creative, like go make a movie with your friends, put it on your reel. Like that's something like be creative in your own pursuits. And obviously like this podcast has been an extension of that, but not in a, in a film and TV sense, but that's something that Naomi has always told me. And I felt like, all these directors that we've brought up between Baz Luhrmann and uh, even Alex Proyas, who's directing this, uh, like they did their own little low budget stuff and Mm -hmm. their experimental creativity sort of sides um, led to them to have the careers that they do. Yeah. Well, they were doing at this time before and after making this film, they, and they's meaningful eye contact uh, were making, um, uh, rock and roll videos yeah <laughs> kids ask your grandparents about those i was in one i was in uh, rose tattoos uh, born to be wild um but uh, uh bands used to make um videos and then they would be shown uh, on, on uh, you know countdown we used to on must tele- watch and What's the band uh, name again uh rose tattoo rose tattoo don't be looking me up while we're on a no, I'm going to look it up for after. I just need to that's, see That's it. in the queue. That's just going in the queue. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, they made, uh, so Peter and Craig and Alex made um, uh, made uh, wonderful and uh, um, sort of towering examples of the genre of the rock video of the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a plot that we can discuss, but... I also kind of just want to jump around. I feel like this movie is conducive to jumping around and like talking about what we want to talk about most with this movie. Yeah. I mean, the economy of the plot is brilliant. So Smith wants to go North because he's being pursued and we do eventually see the pursuers again. We can't see who they are, but they, they pass the same 
uh, extraordinary. And you said Peter Miller was one of them. Yeah, Peter was one. Yeah. Uh, so like, you don't have to pay actors; just get the um, the composer. The crew, yeah. the, I mean, that's oh yeah. Listen, the, if you I, my short film that I've never shown the light of day of is uh, I think I saw like, it. You so yeah, I did me, send right? it to you. Like I am an actor in it, like ten times over. I would. Yeah. There was one scene that we shot where I had my hair up, and my we shot it at my parents' house, and my parents the downstairs is a full circle. You can like make a circle around. So I had my hair up and my back to camera and I ran around the opposite direction of the camera, put my hair down and I was someone else. Like, you know what I mean? Like you just, you switch it up immediately and like yes. we made it work. So it's, um, I mean, it's, okay. it's just the, 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 these three uh, characters, uh, Smith, they are stuck and isolated the brother and sister. Smith wants to go North. The brother says you can't go North because there's a wall, a wall of a mountain. Uh, and he says he has he can give uh, the brother five days. They're going to build a flying machine, and the question is really, will it fly? Will it fly? Yeah. And Smith escape before the pursuers are up. But that's it in terms of hard plot. But my God, it there's there, there's not a a moment wasted in this whole ninety minutes, and there's not a moment where you look away from this this screen, don't you think, Felipe? Uh, yeah, no, the, I mean, like I said, the color is so inviting, like the production and design is so inviting. And something that I wanted to talk about that I know I mentioned to you when you talked to Peter uh, is uh, the sound design. Like, so there's a couple scenes where they're kind of tinkering around trying to build this flying contraption and like the Foley specifically stood out to me, but all this sound design was truly incredible. So uh, I know you brought some, some answers to your conversation, but if mm-hmm. you wanted to like talk about that in this moment yeah so so peter uh, was uh, talked about the foley and the the sound design inspiration so um the foley was all recorded um as i understand it was recorded there so on on location so that it had all the um atmospheric elements of the location and they wanted it to be visceral oh yeah I did write notes that's good recorded lots on location okay so most of the folios recorded on location uh by Peter himself by Craig uh Craig the um the editor and by David White and they he said they had so much like they they recorded everything yeah. they could possibly think of for the foley and, and that's why it's so rich is just watch the finale of the amazing race 33 ah! that's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically I mean, making sounds in like making the sound effects physically with like different items uh like yeah for a footstep someone would actually like wear specific shoes to capture that footstep right. yes they did a lot of walking on the veranda for for yeah. um smith's walking i mean uh peter did in used to send us very cute little uh videos when he was doing the the uh the foley and sound design for rango an amazing uh, film that craig would also uh, edited and uh, um, watching him run around with a, a boom mic uh, over a rolling plastic bottle is one of my enduring uh, visions of my uh, my friend Peter. Um, 
yes so they then the sound design the inspiration what came from the desert itself and peter said that he wanted it to be a gritty a very present he said there's no percussion in the soundtrack at all uh, a couple of knocks of the hammer as Smith uh, makes something, but otherwise no percussion. He wanted the feeling of sustain with long uh, sounds. They built Aeolian harps. And he said, too, what I hadn't noticed, but which makes complete sense, is there's no sound of the wind. The wind is really important in this film because obviously enough wind they have to have for the lift of the air machine. But what you get is the sound that things make when they're affected by the wind. Yeah, I, I noticed that like between incredible. the wind chimes and the like, there was one the contraction that the spinning mm-hmm. that he would tinker with, uh, Felix, uh, that that was what stood out to me, the like those sounds when the wind would come, but there was no wind. Yeah, so it's, it's so the wind becomes, we see it by its effect on things and we hear it by its effect on things. And I think this is, you know, very thoughtful and clever. I was also particularly interested in the sound of the creatures that fly, that, that, that Felix didn't know what they were, but they came every dry season. Um, And that was his bird sounds and electronics. So very thoughtful. I mean, the word immersive comes to mind. It's, I don't know if this is technically immersive, but I think, if you think about how they were working, the colour inspiration comes from the landscape. The Foley um, recording was done mostly on location um, and the um, the sound inspiration was that the desert, the sustain, that kind of orchestral uh, feeling to it uh, yeah. all comes from actually being there. And that's why there's such an integration with this film um, the performances, the actors, the costume, the makeup, the, like the everything. Integration is, is, is my uh, best word for the whole thing. And it makes you feel immersed. I mean, I yeah. first saw it uh, on a big screen. And so that would be my wish for everybody. I know that practically we're going to be watching it on our laptops um, yeah. on that's, a streaming service. That's the experience I have um, just for a quick tangent. Uh, a couple of years ago, my friends wanted to go see a movie on a Friday night. And they all wanted to see The Quiet Place. And I don't do well with horror. So I was like, let's go see Black Panther again or something like that. Or Ready Player One. I'll go see that again. Um, And then they convinced me to go. And I'm so happy they did because the experience of watching that in a theater with the sound design that they had for that movie was pretty incredible. That when Quiet Place 2 came out, I wanted to see that in a theater as well. Um, So like seeing something with such an incredible sound design, especially if it's more of a silent, not silent movie, but like a quieter movie. Like this was like, where you well, there, yeah, there's, there's nowhere to hide. People. Yeah. Like um, when you think about like the, Mar- not to be like, well, well, Marvel movies aren't cinema and be that Marty Scorsese motherfucker. But I, I feel like um, there's nowhere to hide when the film is this barren, right? There's nowhere to hide in the, in the performances of the actors. There's nowhere to hide in the, like in the sound design and the cinematography, because there's no like flashy cuts. There's no like huge special effects. It's like, it's all very, not only natural, but it's all very like present. Um, And I think Sarah, you've described it so well of like what the sound design does and how it enhances this film in particular because to me it you you feel very immersed even when you are watching on a laptop screen although I would love to see this like 
you know, smack dab in my face and in surround sound. But I think that it still translates um, in the smaller medium. And it doesn't, it, it, it sort of demands your attention, right? You are yeah. very intrigued all the way through. The only technical aspect, like technical side of production I've ever really enjoyed was sound design. Um, so I would encourage anyone who like appreciates soundscapes uh, to ever watch something that they love and then watch it again with their eyes closed and just kind of like appreciate the sound because it comes out a lot like even falling asleep to Survivor this last year that's been like kind of like I put it on in the background and watch it until I fall asleep but then sometimes I'll just like roll over and look away from it and just like experience it I think there's some beauty in like appreciating things that in this audio visual medium you don't always appreciate the audio um because it's so like beautiful and picturesque sure um, or you or you yeah. take it with you that so we talked like about the... sound Naomi where do you want to jump to next like what like because uh I don't know if you were here when we talked about but we're going to kind of like jump around to yeah yeah no I, I gotcha um well I want to talk uh, I actually want to talk about Felix for a second um oh yes oh let's do that let's talk about Felix um I, I mean the heart the heart of the yeah. if there if there is a heart to the movie it's Felix. I feel like the the for me the first thing that I really enjoyed is I love um I love giving somebody refuge like giving somebody shelter and something that I feel like a lot of movies would have done in this situation right is like have it be uh, a more obvious double cross or have it be like a situation where I think about like like, I don't know, just all these movies where someone's being chased and it's like, I got to get out of here and there's too much speed to it. But this had like so much time and uh, was a film with a lot of like, we are going to explore this very, very deeply and we're not going to just like move on to the next scene. Like everything is very drawn out. Uh, I love him calling Betty for dinner all the time. I don't know why that made me laugh so much every time he did it, where he was like, don't you want your dinner? And you're like, you know, she can have other interests besides dinner too. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think this is a really funny character. I love his hair. Like, great, Naomi, great hair. Naomi, is that what you told your family tonight, that you have other interests besides dinner? Uh, actually, my mother did just walk into my into my room to say, you're on your own for dinner. So I, I oh, guess no. I will have to make sure I have interests. We can in speed this up. Don't. Yeah. Are you going to have no, no, beans? No, not in a bad way. She just meant like I'm going to have to cook my own food. I, I, oh. I you know, food, I can actually cook my own food. It's, it's a crazy concept called uh, I'm an adult, but I can't. no, I, I, I meant like I felt bad that like I don't know if because you said it was a family dinner, so I was like, oh my god, did you? Well, it was more like dinner? I was going to spend time with my family before they went to bed. I told them that I wasn't joining them for dinner because oh, okay, That's, yeah, you can you can heat up a big can of beans. Exactly. Eat it. Eat it hunched yeah. over the plate. <laughs> Nobody's get I, like eat it like a dog protecting its dinner bowl. You know, classic. Yeah, no, I li- I, that, that, that I like too. Like the way the, the way that Smith eats, very much like a dog protecting its dinner bowl, and that gives you this character insight yeah. just in that physical uh, thing. But you were you were talking about Felix. Yeah. No. Um, I, I mean, just to go back to the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad universe, that's why I personally like. Better Call Saul more than Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is always like, we got to do this, 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 and it's so fast. Where Better Call Saul takes the moments, the character moments, and draws it out. And that's like obviously a very different experience, but this one felt more character driven and focused. And like we got to live these five days with these characters um, and see how those five days, like they changed across like a small 
slice of time. And I think that's something that I appreciate about this movie that Felix, we saw his like journey within this like slow burn style. Yeah, it's a ticking clock, but it's ticking slowly over five days. Yeah. yeah. And I liked his like journey that like all he wanted to do the whole movie was fly, fly over the mountains, go. But then he stays for Betty. And uh, I think Betty is also like, I think we could talk about them hand in hand because Betty was such an interesting character for me to follow. Um, because like I said earlier, like I had this perception of Betty of what she was going to be. And I watched the trailer originally and like the first shot in the trailer is like her covered with this like this eccentric makeup that is uh different than like what you would expect from like traditional makeup I guess and that was I was like oh and we got this whole like religious kind of or maybe not religious but spiritual side of Betty where she uh I think she writes in uh in on the wall at one point go burn in hell she has like some spiritual tapestry in her room there's a lot of crosses there's a lot of devil motifs i mean i was so, gonna say i don't think that you need to call that spirituality i would say no, that is like very religion. christianity well i was trying and, to remember like what yeah what and in of, the room where smith has his uh, not bubble bath there yes. is the huge uh, cruci- uh, crucifix and we must understand a crucifix has the dead mostly naked body of jesus on it represented and i loved the play between that body you know the often often gaunt and the sinewy gauntness of smith's body and this is where we first see his his scars so that again is that time that you're talking about there uh, felipe being taken but it's definitely religiosity it is not spirituality as i understand spirituality certainly yeah um naomi did you have anything to add about betty in specificity to her um like like her character, but also I want to talk about the makeup. Like you mentioned, the makeup artist ended up working for RuPaul later on and like the costume design as well. Well, I, I think to me, the makeup, like the, there's there's a lot of symbolism that I, as a Jew, uh, maybe I'm not catching and probably will never catch, but it's okay. But obviously it feels very like, like in a way French for Coco inspired, like Marie Antoinette style. And I literally uh, wrote, she's wearing a Marie Antoinette look right now. <laughs> Raja would be proud. I mean, and, I, and I'm sure that there is some thematic symbolism there that I'm like not quite, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it a little bit harder. But to me, there's uh, a lot of fun in the sort of mask that she's putting up where at first we think that she is literally just a crazy person, that she is deranged. You know, she's calling him the devil, but not only that, she is like having these spasms on the floor and throwing these fits of rage, you know, and she's quelled over getting dinner. And then it really comes to, I think, to see that she is both, like, trying to protect her brother, but also protect people from her brother. It's it's a weird mix. And I'm not sure if her telling um, Smith that her brother's insane is, is I, I mean, and maybe I'm misinterpreting this, is the brother insane or is she just lying to get Smith to get the fuck out of there? You know, like, that was very curious to me. But I love the performance throughout the entire thing. She always sold it. She did a very, very good job. Yeah, I mean, I think her talking about um, her brother being crazy and that he's killed lots of young men, <clears throat> and we consider the we consider the narrator and we think, oh, is this true? But it puts incredible tension. I remember the first time I saw it, my tension and my dread as the time came uh, for Smith uh, eventually to fly off in the machine. And I think Smith has that tension and dread as well. And I think it's 
it's beautifully done. And I recall vividly seeing it the first time and sitting with it afterwards and thinking we saw Felix watching him fly away. That's our evidence that he actually did get over the mountains is Felix watching him. Yeah. Uh, so the, the film doesn't give us evidence that he did, in fact, uh, escape. Exactly. And I, I, I had a point that completely escaped me. So, uh, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, I remember what it was. I like the progression of the makeup because while it was always bold, like I remember the first scene, she had like very like orangey uh, red, like we talked about the color palette for the, for the physical landscape, but also like one eye was much more subdued and the other eye was like much more bolder with this like orange yellow. Uh, I don't know what that's called. Like the, is, is it eyeshadow if it's underneath? Sure. Or well, eyeshadow. I don't know. I'm I, not a makeup oh, person. Well, what do you mean underneath? Like if, if it's like, on top of your eye, it's eyeshadow, but like, underneath your eye, it's like right not eyeshadow. Here. It's cheek shadow. Yes, cheek it's and eyeshadow blush? all the way around. Blush, sure. I'm not a makeup person. Eyeshadow. It's a, she has a big circle all the way around her eyes yeah. of eyeshadow. But then like yep. throughout the movie, it gets progressively more bold and more overstated in terms of like the makeup design. And I feel like that was kind of a progression of maybe her stress with like what was happening around her potentially. I don't know if that's how you interpreted it, but. I think it also Uh, has like, not only Marie Antoinette, but like a Japanese influence as well. But I also also think she's very, very white in the beginning. She's very, very like painted up. And towards the end, she's still got a little bit of that on her, but it becomes less about like, I think white mask and more about the expression that she's actually painting on her face. Yeah. The the eyebrows are uh, quite something. And I do want to make it, uh, emphasized the production design and costume design were all nominated for ACTA awards, which are the Australian uh, Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards. Um, and then also the soundtrack uh, was nominated for an ARIA Music Award, the Australian Recording Industry Association Music Awards. Um, but yeah, the Grammys, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Sarah, yeah. What, what is do you like have more thoughts on her makeup? I'm, I'm like, I love this description because I, I love makeup in, in film and TV, and like, I love makeup in general. And yeah. I wear eyeshadow goes on the face, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can put eyeshadow anywhere. Um, I what I liked about it was the thought of what is her day? Like, we don't see, we don't have a montage of Betty getting up and getting ready for the day. We see Betty created in whole cloth. But what it made me think of, and particularly for some reason this time, I I liked the idea of time that it gives you because you think she gets up out of bed, she selects her outfit of the day, and then she puts on this makeup and she does her hair or she puts on a wig or whatever it is that she's going to do for the day. And it's the idea of what is her day composed of. And the first couple of hours potentially are this this getting ready for what is quite a presentational look only for herself, uh, her brother and her dead father who she goes to visit and hilariously has a very casual chat to him. Hello, how are you? She says. Yeah. And the cairn that is over presumably their, their father, uh, their father's dead body. So I liked the makeup too for that reason, the thought that she is communing with herself you know, for much of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, in actuality, but also in who am I today? What is my face today? Trying to find her face, trying to find 
uh, who she is, because she's grown up presumably from quite a young girl with only one, with only two other people and now one other person. Yeah. Um, Naomi, did you have anything to add on the makeup? No. No, there are two, no. Uh, there, are two, there are two major things I want to discuss. And then one small joke that I wrote down that uh, Sarah pointed out that Felix lives in Andy's room from Toy Story. Like, um, um, I just I love I just the revelation say, of of his room. That's yeah. one of my favorite things, and and I somehow forget it, and then every time I remember it, and I'm completely delighted. So yeah. we've seen these very crowded rooms. They're dark. They're dusty. The light cuts through the dust and the oakiness, and we we see stuff everywhere. I mean, I love the set dressing, the set decoration. You know that every single thing was so well chosen. We've seen Felix go to his room a couple of times and unlock the bolt. The only other person that's there is his sister, so he's locking his room from her. And when we finally get to see inside, it's an empty room painted blue with clouds with his bed in the middle of it. And it's this extraordinary... um, It's like he wants to It's very emotional. Yeah, it's a very emotional um, thing. And the fact that he has the door locked, it's some kind of sanctuary you th- that you would need sanctuary and solitude in the middle of a desert plain with only one other person you know speaks very much about our, how we are yeah. as, as humans you know we're small group primates we are meant to uh be together in small groups cooperating living together helping each other sure. uh, and what happens when we are no longer in uh, small groups uh, small group primates we are either alone or we're in large cities where we are in contact with hundreds of people a day and i think also you know this idea of like the the trauma of whatever their father has put them through um and what that has done to them i think when you think about it right you know we've seen lots of different stories of like religious uh like religious mania or like people being oppressive based on what their religious beliefs are and i can only imagine that um wanting to fly was not a big dream that their dad was a fan of right and this idea of like escape and getting away and so once you're kind of told like that's not okay that's not cool uh you lock it up you hide from everybody else you hide your aspirations and your dreams from uh even the people that you're closest to because you don't want anybody to to realize that you have these big desires especially considering that like how how much we see Betty freak out at him, at Felix, for wanting to fly. Uh, you just know that it's like, it's it's really a secret for him. It's not even just yeah. a uh, like a dream. It's like a it's a very very secret private thing. I mean, yeah, he, well, like you said, so, blocks his freaking bedroom. Like with this, I I am happy to take it in either one or two directions. But uh, I want to talk about like the symbolism of the title. But also I want to talk about the dynamic between Betty Felix and like the overarching <laughs> presence of their father. We could we could deal with the title straight away. That just came out of Alex Preuss's head and nobody but Alex knows what it means. Okay. But what does it yeah. what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Um to me it's like there's a beauty in being in flight and in the sky. Um that Felix dreams about and wants to see himself in. But at the end of the day, they're humans. They are the gremlins that aren't meant to be in the clouds, but they're going to try anyways. That's That was my interpretation after watching the movie. And also you kind of just put me on the spot. So I kind of just kind of went with what I felt. Yes, please go, go. You, Speak you as you feel. 
you would get a participation grade in, in the in Sarah's college class for sure with that answer. Mm-hmm. That was you, you really watch the movie, that's for sure. Um, yeah. and, and, and Naomi, what what does the title mean to you? It's interesting. I think to me, the spirits of the air is like the religious side of things, right? God is the spirit of the air in some ways, but also that's we don't we don't fully know who she is. You know, we know she's kind of a religious, and we have to assume based on the cross that it's like a Christian god, but it could be anything. And then I think gremlins of the clouds is like what you kind of said, Felipe, of like that's like the the human side of things. Maybe gremlins are. I love gremlins also. Like I feel like when you first pitched this movie, I thought it was going to be more like uh like a Furby kind of. <laughs> I, I thought like, this was just like, going to be a cartoon about like some gremlins. You know, I watched Fern Gully uh, a couple of months ago. That's like, another Australian that. movie. <laughs> so similar to uh no, and Gremlins of the Clouds, like you said, Felipe, is, is like humanity, and and you know whether it's humans in the sky or it's uh like just. And I mean, you know, it's prominent because Sarah has a bird yeah. behind her, but I also. Like, like, there's a beauty of the animals in the sky and what mm-hmm. the sky can encapsulate. Well, what were those creatures that fly, f- that fly through the flock that flies uh, yeah. during the dry season? I mean, they were extraordinary. I mean, for me, it is um, it, it's like Icarus and Daedalus, right? We have always, as humans, looked up to the sky. I think if there were no birds, we wouldn't have had a single thought about flying. We look at birds and we go, yeah, I wonder if we could do that. And so we aren't built to be there. We're much more built to be in the water. When I swim, it feels uh, very natural. And when you swim with other people in the salt water, you feel that mammalian return to the water. And, yes, on one of my long swims, I have had a whale come and and, uh, uh, see what I was all about. And it was terrifying and extraordinary. Um, So... For me, it's the idea of the hubris of humans, uh, the conquering idea, the we want to go up there and conquer, but it's also that incredible idea of aspiration, thought, imagination, and all of that sort of thing. So the air, I mean, I was on a plane recently and I thought, as I often think, wow, we're in this sort of silver tube in the sky uh, I, I'm not afraid of flying, but it just seems a work of imagination as much of, as engineering. This is a very long way around to say I've kind of accept the title. I haven't thought too deeply about it, but the gremlins of the clouds could be that which prevents us from um, from taking flight because we are, you know, earthbound and heavy, uh, or we ourselves could be the gremlins. So yeah. That's Just me. to circle back to what uh, my preconceived notions of it, I thought it was going to be kind of like a Studio Ghibli film, like something like that. That's a really great point. I I, I completely concur with that idea. Of, like I thought it was going to have that like really esoteric and, and uh, human vibe while also being completely out of this world. And in some ways, I still, I still think it has in that. It just, is, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just with actual actual people. I think this performance by Michael Lake is extraordinary. Uh, I think that we see him in a particular way and then after his sister says he's crazy, you, you, you go back over everything that you've seen of his. I think one of the first things we see is him sitting in the chair flapping his arms and you think, oh, crazy. And then, of course, you realise he is 
contemplating different ways that that wings could uh, could be. Yeah. And the arrival of Smith for him, and the negotiation of how much time uh, he can have him for, is so that he can build build the next machine. He has been unable to build because uh, he's in a wheelchair, um, and so he he. Re- that's his desire and his requirement, yeah. as well as, as as you say, Naomi giving shelter to the to the to the refugee. Uh, it's very interesting that the two there are two people in the house, and one's anti and one's pro. Um, but yes, there's no double cross that comes. It's very, it's pure. the The only double cross would be if Smith dies in the. Yeah. Um, poorly constructed a flying machine and the film doesn't tell us that he dies so therefore he doesn't he practiced that right. ruddering enough that he could get through it i think <laughs> yeah you're wearing uh, your shoes really there you're wearing your shoes yeah. yes those uh, shoes i well so he felix reminds me of a father and son duo like they're very low importance in the grand scope of the avatar the last airbender world but he reminds me of the the mechanist and his kid in the sense that like he's like a tinker he's an inventor um and he wants to fly and i feel like those two characters combined like the father and son were very much you could map felix onto them a little bit um the one thing that i did want to bring up is like yes this movie was made in the late 80s we are in 2022 but i did not like some of the masculinity in this movie it felt a little bit toxic at times we talked about the non-consensual kiss um Felix was kind of abusive in the last scene that he had where he was breaking. I, I felt, I read it as like abusive, like in his meltdown, uh, like he was breaking things that Betty found uh, important to her. But like, the, the, and I felt like there was this whole like weight of fatherly approval at times. I don't know if that's something you both read, but that was something that I saw that stood out to me in a negative way. But also maybe it's like the artism, the art, behind it i don't know well uh, one thing about the non-consensual kiss um was first of all oh no and then her reaction to it was so brilliant i thought yes i will i will allow it yes because she is so stunned her eyes wide open completely still uh and and the kiss is not sexual or passionate from Smith yeah. it's it's control and power and I like I mean I hate it but I like seeing it so boldly illustrated we have not a moment of thinking that he's attracted to her it's about power and I think that it resonates uh, then as now with what uh, uh, some 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 women all women <laughs> unwanted uh attention and that that attention is often not romantic and not sexual but is indeed about power so i liked that that about it and i loved her response afterwards her incohate rage that she had been so affronted and she doesn't attack him but she she screams and thrashes with her disgust and her fear and her rage that he had done that to her and what I love is that he walks away he closes the door he walks outside and we can still hear her inside yeah Um, Naomi what how about you well I think that um 
not to not to like sleep i think you're completely wrong because i'm not saying that i think obviously there is the element of toxic masculinity but i don't think that it is the point of the film to say and these are the people who are making good decisions and we think they're totally no. normal and we endorse what they're doing, right? <laughs> there, I think there's obviously a difference and I, I know you know it as well, but to me, what I read it as is it's, it's the cycles of abuse, right? It's the cycle of the father uh, has put them in this terrible position and now after all this time, the none of these people know healthy emotional relationships, obviously, and therefore... Uh, here comes the brother to berate his sister because she's not doing exactly what he wants and he's she's ruining his dream and at the same time she has I think very very valid fears about like what's gonna happen to me what's gonna happen I'm sure she's worried about her brother dying like all these things that are you know they're very codependent on each other all these elements that lead to like him exerting control because we know that like part of being abusive is like destroying a person's belongings and all these different tactics that you can do to break somebody down um they're not consensual kiss i mean i think sarah just summed it up perfectly it's also like uh there are you know lots of things that we can not like in cinema or things that can age and and not feel okay and feel very disrespectful in retrospect um i think that sometimes like bad bad characters still need to do bad things right there still needs to be like gross stuff and and like we see she doesn't like it they don't have sex there's nothing that is, sarah i think you put it very astutely there's nothing romantic about it uh it's it's very it's an exertion of power and i think there's a fun religious side of it where she's very disgusted with it she's she you know it's like it reminds me of um in peanuts when lucy it's like kissed by snoop and she's like get the iodine get the disinfectant like that very like I'm a kiss by a dog and, and it's fun you know she's like the scene it doesn't go the way that you expect it to go which is like so thank god because if this is just a film and I know Sarah would have better taste than this but if this was just a film where some <laughs> handsome guy in the desert showed up like had cool mysterious stars on his back and was like I'm gonna make out with your sister I was like this film is stupid and I don't like it and it makes me sad but this this obviously there's a lot more going on yeah here. Just, I just felt like it was no like, Sarah wouldn't bring that to us yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's there. I, I mean, it's very interesting because we, we, I mean, again, the film doesn't tell us, but we assume that uh, Felix has been uh, paralysed by a an accident with a flying machine. So if you had a brother who rode motorbikes and had a terrible motorbike accident and was, you know, uh, physically affected by, paralysed, whatever, brother, sister, friend, and they continued to want to go on motorbikes and not only that, they wanted you to come on the motorbikes as well. I think we can understand where Betty's uh, fear and frustration and anger comes from. Most of and, yeah. and she doesn't have words. She doesn't have the words. She's not stupid, but she may well be uneducated and the only books they seem to have are the Bible and the Big Book of Flying. You know the the, the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica of flying. So if your worldview is formed by a limited number of words, you don't have a lot of words to use to express uh, what you have. And I see that in in Betty. She's not stupid. She's not crazy. She was made like that by her circumstance, uh, and I find her very courageous. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of other topics that I wanted to hit on based on the plot, I think I am good to like start going into Pete's questions, but if Naomi wanted or Sarah wanted to talk about anything else, let me know. No, I love Phil. I love the details of film. We we all get to absorb it. And now I want to know more about what the intentions mm-hmm. were behind yeah. it. Yeah. So I sent over a couple of questions. Naomi, did you send in your questions over? Or because you hadn't watched the movie? Uh, no, until, like, I watched today, it right? two hours ago. For yeah. I did not get my questions. Okay. I, oh. was, I was showing up to class uh, like barely prepared. So, so it's yeah. very well. All you need to do to prepare is watch it and have a brain that and a heart, and you have yeah. all of those things. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I can ask the question and then you can uh, reread mm-hmm. them and go to our chat. So I know exactly what I'm talking about um so uh one of the questions i asked was about the inspiration for the color palette and i know we talked a little bit about like how it matches and there's like no green and how it kind of matches the desert but if there was anything that he wanted to elaborate on that no that was that was the uh, elaboration it's like uh i mean because i've sort of sprinkled a few answers uh throughout it's like the sound it's 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 the integration with the location that i find um i find extraordinary yeah um also like let me just give you the opportunity like what's your background with peter miller like how did you (laughs) yeah uh he's one of my oldest 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 friends he's older (laughs) than me so i can say that um well i when i first saw this movie i didn't i didn't know uh, peter i met him uh, a couple of years later in 1990 and i either found out that he worked on the film or I just was running my mouth and I said, oh, look, I really liked the uh, the art direction and the sound design of that movie. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, that I did both of those things. <laughs> um, so uh, I've, I've known him for a very long time. That's, that's, our, that's our history. Oh, I <clears throat> directed a production of um, The Taming of the Shrew uh, at State Theatre Company, South Australia, um, I'm going to say 20 years ago. Oh, God. Uh, and he did the most incredible sound design for that. And <clears throat> controversially, controversially in that uh, front of houses don't like to run the front of house of a theatre to suit the play. It's supposed to be the other way around. But he had this sound piece that went for 20 minutes and started 15 minutes before curtain. And we had to train the ushers to take the people in because when this piece of music finishes, the play is going to start. So it was this this um, this idea of immersion. You would start to hear that out in the foyer. You might notice it, but it 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 had a building uh, rhythm. It it was percussive, unlike the sound design here, and it kind of drove. And so it drove you in, and then you were sitting in the theatre and you were listening. And as you were chatting to your friend before the lights went down, it got louder and louder and more and more drove you. So so what he did for the play, which was wonderful, was bring the audience in from the foyer into their seats, basically shut them up as as they were flung into the beginning of the play and then the, then the play started in a very um, bombastic and huge way with the with the arrival of the, uh, of the actors. So, and then he did... Uh, sound all the way through so that's the only time we've worked together and it was a very happy time oh no it's not the only time we worked together uh he uh, you can seek out his uh, music on um 
a number of albums, as we used to call them, uh, CDs, and uh, I'm on his CD, uh, Houdini, providing Ooh. the voice of the transmedium, uh, contacting Houdini's mother for Houdini and talking to him right at the end in the title track, uh, Houdini. But, um, uh, yes, he's he's a, a, a very very interesting person i think he is one of australia's preeminent artists of of all kinds uh if you go to scriptotronics you can see some of his current work uh, making small movies oh i was in one of those too i was a dead person uh, underwater in a lake so <laughs> uh kicky legs, kicky legs yeah, yeah. you were um, using those so it's so yeah if you want to go and be completely creeped out you can go and uh, look at um at uh, Peter's work there on on Scribbletronics. I'm saying the word scribble followed by the word tronics, uh, and I would I would uh, I would encourage you to do Let's... so. I think he is he is um, I, I can't say enough good things about him as an artist and um, as a friend. He's been a close and loyal friend uh, for many many years. Yeah. Scribbletronics, a much better name than Technotronics, Naomi, <laughs> if, you, if you get that reference, Naomi. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. Another question that we asked was, um, how creative did he get to be individually? Like, did he have any creative restrictions or roadblocks that he had to work around? Well, I asked him that question point blank, exactly as you wrote it, and he said he had full control. Okay. Complete awesome. and full control of the soundtrack, the production design, the art direction. Um, yeah. Alex had drawn some illustrations prior to them getting out there, but uh, th that, yeah, he, his answer was very, very simple, full control. And I think that integration that we're talking about, um, I mean, Sean Callanan did the, did the uh, production, production design. Have I said the right name? God, quickly look it up and make sure I don't I say the wrong person. Cal the production design, Sean uh, meaningful eye contact it says yeah yeah meaningful eye contact is the is the company so um uh, yes yes that integration is what i'm talking about yeah. when it's um when you and you will see that um craig with the editor was also making um miniatures so that there's this crossing of the departments and i think that gives you that integration um, but yeah, full control was the answer. Yeah, most certainly. Hmm. Um, and then well, I'm I go to question. Oh, go ahead, Naomi. Well, I was just going to say, um, like as a commentary to that, I think actually uh, a testament to a great artist is when they have full control and it's actually a good end result. Think about like you know <laughs> the absolute classic, our our boy George Lucas making the absolutely deranged Star Wars prequels. Uh, whereas if you think about the first. You know, if you get into the history of the first four, you know, four, five, six, like, first of all, his his ex-wife edited them. And, like, there were so many things that were, like... He had like, different directors. Yeah. And, and like, there there is something to be said about, like, when an artist has full control and is actually uh, not, like, doing a terrible job. Yeah. And I, also, I also like, want to shout out feedback. Tommy Wiseau, The Room. <laughs> Another... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, yes, just to just to confirm that the production design by was by Sean Callanan. So yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then I want to jump to question five before we circle back to four, um, because mm-hmm. I think it's more interesting to end with that one. But were there any behind the scenes woes in making of this movie, like anything that he talked about in your conversation? Yes. And it's something you can guess. Money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not enough. Not enough. Uh, Did money. he talk about how he worked around some of those obstacles? Yeah. Like what ways of creativity he used? Yeah. So, so they did get they did get some uh, uh, funding. Um, as they went, but this is why it was shot in um, in three segments. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, the um, shoot, the two and a half week shoot, as I said, on the Monday Monday Plains, and then the uh, studio interiors, which was sort of fairly immediately thereafter. And then <clears throat> it wasn't till a year later that they were able to go back uh, on location for the um, the special effects or the in camera effects, and. They had um, a short amount of time and they sat in a hotel in Broken Hill for six days as the rain poured torrentially oh. down. Uh, and so uh, in the end they had five days to do what they had uh, budgeted ten days to do. Yeah. So <clears throat> this oh. is where... The beauty of uh, filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, oh, yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing about the cloudless sky... And uh, having to do these the the effects, the the, the walking, um, and uh, and so on, with, I mean you can't do it in rain, right? Yeah. No rain in the desert. Yeah, exactly. Oh and then uh, the last question that we uh, presented was, uh, how would he make this movie in twenty twenty two? How would he sound design it? How would uh, his experience be? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> You're Sorry. good. Get, getting emotional. No, uh, this film does make me emotional and thinking about how great Peter is uh, makes me emotional too. Um, and it must be said, um, the the editor, uh, Craig Wood, he's worth a look up. Go and have a look yeah, at his Yeah, he did our rainbow, it's which been... we almost talked about on the Neo movies, but now we don't have any future intention to talk about. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Rango is a wonderful movie. Go and watch it, but we won't talk about it. Um, yeah. uh, yes, I, I asked him that and, and he gave a very a very peter answer uh which is to say thoughtful and truthful uh it that it's so much part of his past he he wouldn't make it now like it would be a different story now yeah it it mm. or if the story was the same uh the isolated brother and sister the stranger that comes it wouldn't be this movie yeah. it would be this story but it wouldn't be this movie um the sound design the image design the music the the quasi orchestral music with the electronica this is i mean something that he's built on but it is uh, th- uh 35 years ago is it not uh yeah or 33 years ago 88 i'm not well they were they were making it in 87 so. yeah. yeah um so the, the one thing would be, obviously, there would be more money now. Um, they didn't have enough money for post-production because it was it was shot on film. And in those days, of course, very expensive to do post-production um, for that. Yeah. So, so he said it's so much part of his past, he wouldn't do it now. However, he is thrilled with the remastering. And Oh, it looks amazing, like remastered. Yeah. Like I will, I will continue to harp on that. Yeah, so he did, uh, as I mentioned, he did a Dolby Stereo... Um, uh, soundtrack which they didn't use for the original film because that needs to go with the 35 millimeter print 
and they couldn't afford the 35 millimeter print <laughs> but he is so glad now that he made it then because now they've used that for the for the uh for the remaster yeah um I have no further questions about this movie. Naomi, do you have anything before we get into our regular Naomi movie segments and start winding things down? Um, I, I just have to say like, well, thank you to Sarah for like bringing it to like my attention and now we get to watch it and experience this film. But I also think that it's a real testament to letting um letting artists create and not expecting movies to be a grand spectacle all the time we don't need like lots of guns and weapons and fighting and you know kickboxing and, and we're not and above that i remember sarah I mean, being you know, super excited for fast and the furious nine like, like i like i love I those it. movies don't get me wrong yeah. come on yeah. but at the same time i think that uh there there is beauty in like what is subtle and what is uh, you know, what is like patience. Um, and I, I love that this film takes a lot of uh, patience and visit and like watching and paying attention. And it, it was just a lot of fun. And I think that Peter did like a, a fantastic job in all of the artistic elements. And like, it's, I don't know. I like, I just like, I like good, I like good movie making, you know? And again, I yeah. think people should really look outside of, of the uh, I do genre have one of more, cinema. One more question that I don't know if you can answer this, Sarah, but what, how did he get involved with this movie? Oh, okay. Yeah. I can answer that. So uh, um, there's a, the a, a place we call Afters, Australian Film, Television and Radio School, which is uh, still going strong. Uh, so Peter um, studied there he then went on to work at the ABC, <clears throat> the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and it was there that he met Craig Wood, who's the editor, who I've mentioned a, a number of times. Alex also went to afters, af afters after Peter, um, and a current student there asked Peter to come back and help with the film, and on that on that shoot he met Alex. Okay. And so they formed Meaningful Eye Contact Film, which 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 we've mentioned, which was the the vehicle for them to uh, to for their creative endeavours. And as I also mentioned, they started doing the uh, the rock videos, and then this was their their first feature. Although they had made something together called, let me look, Strange Residues. Very Peter Miller title. Yeah. Uh, if you go into Scribbletronics, you'll see it. One last thing I would like to say about the movie and something that really struck me this time, and I'm, I'm going to say this tactfully, the actor's skin has texture and it was so such a revelation. They don't have <laughs> bad skin. They have real skin. You can see the texture of their skin and it made me think, oh, my God, I haven't seen texture on an actor's face in a hollywood or high budget movie for years and i think we're losing something there leaving aside the cosmetic procedures of of actors of all genders um that are standard mm. we just we just don't see it and there was something again this idea of present real gritty visceral uh, was also showing um in the in the very non-vain performances of these actors yeah the only time I can think of like texture on an actor recently is a uh, Mandy Moore covered in prosthetics. So it's like intentional texture. 
when she's like older but like it's not oh. like actual human texture of skin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. um but yeah so shall we get into our segments mm-hmm. oh let's yeah so let's start off with uh the mvp and the lvp aka naomi's dropkick award um which i brought i brought to the attention of the gravity brothers when i did uh the gravity falls podcast and i said naomi likes to call it the dropkick award um and they love that like i think I don't know if anyone would get drop kicked here, but it's the name of the award, so it's like the LVP, and there's only yeah. really two characters to choose from. Well, so. I'm gonna say LVP is dad. That's for me. I would drop. Kick oh yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cosine, easy. I think that's yeah. That's a really good shout. Um, and Sarah, you agree with that? Oh yes, I do. Or the pursue. No, 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 not the pursuers. Yeah, dad, dad, dead under the can. LVP. Okay. Yeah, for me, like, my first instinct was Smith, just because, like, I, I had three choices. But I really do think the dad has this overarching presence that I, I kind of want to sweep it, if that's okay with you, Naomi, as the co-host. Are you allowing sweeps? Yeah, man, this isn't like, this isn't like martial law or anything. We can do whatever <laughs> we want here. Go ahead. It's Nimnomto. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, for the MVP, let's start with you, Sarah, since this movie you brought to us. Who do you want to highlight as your the MVP of this movie? I'm going to say, oh, I'm so tempted to give it to Betty, but I'm going to give it to Felix as Felix the heart your and the driver of the of the of the story. Is, do you want to elaborate anything else besides that he was like the the heart and soul of the movie, kind of? Or well, I mean, it's it's a wonderful performance by Michael Lake, as we've said. It, it, even though it was, um, it's not a realistic performance, but he draws you in. There's something about that face, and the the camera is often very much up in his face. We get a lot of extreme close-ups of him, and there's something about he just seems so readable, and he seems so transparent, and his desire to fly you know reflects a lot of our crazy desires as as Naomi said that we don't we don't even want to tell our closest closest friends and he's got it out on on out in the desert um and he's also very clever he made a he made a flying machine that was supposed to my only thing is that was supposed to hold three people maybe that's why it's successful because Smith is the only one that was that was in it so um he managed to uh uh inveigle charm bully uh, Smith into building this extraordinary thing and he managed to get him up over the mountains in it and he has a very rich inner life so yes uh Felix for me okay yes uh I will go with Betty the other person you were considering yes. I feel like, yeah I think she was the most interesting for me to watch her journey and like the little details within the costume and the makeup stood out to me and I think she had the most to do in terms of like the ring she got to show off. And I always love a character who gets to, like, it's how I enjoy survivor winners is like, I like seeing them face adversity and I like seeing them play from the top. I like seeing the the range of skill sets. And I think this actress Reese Davis uh, got to show off her range as an actor more than the other two. And I think that stood out to me, not to say that the other two didn't get to show off their acting chops, but I really enjoyed like, the subtlety in Betty, but also the melodrama that she had at times. So, yeah. Uh, Naomi, how about you? I'm going to be controversial here. I'm going to say, yeah. uh, I'm going to say. Do it. The, the dude Smith. Smith. Why? Because Smith 
gets a free fucking plane ride. Like I, I've been I've been having to buy airfare recently. So expensive. <laughs> he puts in the work and he gets a free plane. Like and and you know, there you go. Score. Whether he makes it over the mountains or not, you know, you got a plane out of this whole thing. So he wins. Yeah. Yeah. Forward to go down, back to go up. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that I we got everyone got a point from the main cast, so that's exciting. Um so let's go to the scores and now Sarah, let's start with you. We give these uh zero to five. Uh do we have a Naomi like is it popcorn buckets? What are we what is the symbol of a, like what are we giving out? That's a great question. Um, to me, the symbol is uh, uh, is um, an expired movie pass uh, credit card. <laughs> Love it. Yes, Naomi, what the biggest yeah. movie pass head out there. So that's do that still had money on it. Very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, um, or you know, I paid my dues and all I got was this stupid ticket to John, the Gotti movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> So Sarah, let's start with you. How would you rank this movie? Rate this movie zero to five uh, movie passes. Well, when I do ratings, and and five is good. Five is better than ten, I think. I I start at five, and then I knock it down for everything that I didn't like, or that I felt was poor or ill conceived. This movie's been living rent free in my head for thirty five years. I am inordinately fond of it. I am having a great deal of difficulty not giving it five. And it's also like if the movie speaks to you, like I'll be transparent and say the Simpsons movie got a five for me just because it has Mm -hmm. such an emotional attachment. And Naomi and Lindsay gave it a two and a three. Mm. So it's it's deranged. (laughs) It's beautiful to look at. It talks about, um, I mean, talk about Australian. It's an Australian movie made in Australia by Australian artists. So it is very Australian, but it also has an Australian sensibility that I'm still sort of struggling to express why, Mm. uh, if you didn't know it was Australian, that you would know it's Australian. I mean, the colour of the earth alone. Um, I, I, Perfect is such a stupid word, so I'm Mm. not going to call it perfect, and I'm not ranking it against any other movie, but I give it... Five expired movie passes. Love it. Yes. And yeah, that's totally in your parameters. And I, I love that you like, if something speaks to you so strongly, you should be able to shout it from the rooftops. And stamping this with a five is your recognition of how much you love it. Um, Naomi, do you want to go next or do you still need a minute? No, I think um, for me, I this film is absolutely is a, to me is a 4.5 out of 5. Um, I think that it's got great storytelling. It's got great performances. I think the, I don't know where the 0.5 deduction truly comes from, but I guess it's like in comparison to, maybe it's that like little Australianness that Sarah can connect with that I like can't because I'm a dirty American, but I think it's like a beautiful piece of movie and it, it, there are lots of movies that remind me about why I like movie making and why I like being a part of this industry. And I think this is certainly one of those films that reminds me that like making movies on a small scale um, can be not only enjoyable, but can produce something that you can still be proud of many years later. It's great. Uh, 
remind me your scorecards. I was just editing the spreadsheet and I tuned out for the moment that you said that. Oh, wow. Now I'm going to have to tell Sarah again that I only gave her fractal 4.5 out of 5. No, 4.5. I think 4.5. I'm, I'm strolled with 4.5. Yeah. yeah. From, from um, you. Yeah. So this is your highest rated movie, Naomi. Uh, this <gasps> is... Th- that's I'd say what? so. I mean, oh. I'm not going to give the Pink Panther a higher score than this movie. I'll tell you that right now. You know, like the original. Is, oh no, mm. no, the no, Steve not, Martin not the original. Not the Peter Sellers. I wouldn't disrespect yeah. him like that. Um, yeah. So your highest previously was Matt Keeble's big movie with a four. Um, and and that's slowly... G. That is the second best movie we've watched. <laughs> I think I think Cloudy. Oh no, I put Matt Keeble higher. Never mind. I was going to say Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is better than that, but I lied. Um. This is okay. Let me just start off by saying this is a hundred percent better than the Pink Panther, Stuart Little, and James and the Giant Peach. Those movies can kick rocks. Um, the, I think this is like definitely on the same level as Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs for me. Like where uh, I don't have the nostalgia glasses that I do have for uh, something like the Simpsons movie, so I will not be giving it a five either. I apologize, Sarah. I apologize, Peter, mm-hmm. for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think this is like the same Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Max Keeble's big movie, big move, sorry, uh, tier for me. Um, I think uh, this movie was so beautiful to look at and so great sound design. And if we were scoring simply on that, it's a five for those parameters. Um, but with that said, I think I will give it this this feels so rude. Not do it. I, I we know we know it. Americans are rude. Don't worry. Yes, <laughs> it it screams like three point five for me, just because like it didn't take me to the place that like my favorite all time movies do. And three point five to four, if it's if uh, that's a great movie to me. So that's like an A. Or that's a B plus to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think like why can't I give it higher? It's hard to explain. But well, that's why I, a film is subjective, right? That's why the art yeah. is subjective. And also this, this film is a vibe, right? Yeah, this is mm. a vibes movie, not a plot movie, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just just how I feel about Top Gun, which and I would probably it's... also give around the same score. The original Top Gun. Original? Oh. Yeah. I would give that um, a three, yeah. probably. If it's 3.5, like it's 3.5. It's 3. 5. If that, you know, you must, speak, you must speak from the heart. Yeah. Um, I mean, and just be sit there being wrong in your wrongness. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, so when I left, drag me, Sarah. So when I left yesterday watching the movie, I was like, hmm, I need to think about this more. And definitely, like, thinking about it more, like, what the movie does cinematically is so amazing that it did elevate it. And then this discussion also elevated it. Like, just the nuance in the performances really helped, uh, like, reinvigorate the energy. I want to go and rewatch this kind of immediately after discussing it. Because I only saw this once. Usually, I see it twice but because i watched it with sarah i watched it once and took detailed notes well different sarah everybody different sarah yeah i did not fly to australia and also she 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 was the one that said it looked like andy's room that's yes not me um i like listen i would love to go to australia and watch a movie with sarah but unless i can fly like uh smith and felix uh i don't it's a lot more expensive (laughs) to do that um but yeah, so I'm going to give it a 3.5 with so much love to the production value and design because I feel like that's something that we've lost in discussion is like how amazing a production design is. Like I, I know Naomi and I talked about this when we started watching Loki last summer. And I think this quote that Naomi said to me stuck with me is uh, 
people who work in the background, like the production designers, the cinematographers, they work, I don't know if you said a lot harder than the actors, but they don't get appreciated in the ways that actors do. And I yeah, think I, I'm, I'm a notorious actor, uh, actor, unenthusiast. And, and I'd say that not because I don't think acting is like a valid, first of all, I think acting is a very wonderful art form, but I think that movie stars in particular are made to seem like they have the hardest job out there. Whereas there's somebody who goes out and tries to find the right bowl for a scene and gets yelled at like 10 times over for picking the wrong color bowl. You know what I mean? And it's just, it, there's so much to be recognized when people make inspired choices and make interesting artistic decisions because a ton of thought, like, you know, we get this lovely insight from Peter and it's, and it's very clear that a ton of thought has gone into every single aspect of what's in the frame. And, you know, there were a lot of people out in that desert in that hot sun making this movie happen. Oh, and very, very hot. Them. Yeah, we'll never see them on screen. And that's like, you know, what I just always want people to think about when they watch movies is that like, you see the credits yeah. and you see how many names there are. And it's like, they all probably worked harder than the person who showed up to set and napped in their trailer. No offense. The um, the thing that drives me mad is people say, oh, you know, it's so great. This, this line was improvised or that scene was improvised. First of all, almost certainly it wasn't. Like almost certainly it wasn't. A writer has has slaved over that page. And if you can get the shooting script, there'll be, you know, she looks to the side. And, and I you think, think that feels like it's, you know, and it should feel like it's part of the performance. But this discarding of, it's as if improvising a scene is better than, uh, you know, a person writing a scene. It's the, the doing down of um, the other artists that work on the, the other yeah. artists and creatives who work on the film and that, that I think Naomi's um, highlighting. And thank you for doing that. Yeah, for me, uh, improv and ad-libbing is successful when you have a great script and everything is plotted out. And then you can like allow the actor to like, they know what the scene, the intention is. And then if they like take add a line that wasn't in there or add a comedic bit. like Yeah, not to mention... That's because of all the work that other people have put in. And then, like, based on, like, story and uh, the environment that allows the actor to create that moment. So, like, yeah. I, I think it's important to acknowledge, like, the people behind the scenes, like, the, uh, especially the below the line, line people who don't get compensated or acknowledged in the way that, like, above the line creatives do. There are so many people that work on productions that you, like, I watch the credits in the movie theater every time I go in when I'm watching a movie, just because I think it's important to appreciate the amount of people that went through it. And it's not because I want to see the post credit scene. I do it for any movie that uh, I just like to yeah, say. Yeah, same. same. I think it's, it, it's a re act of respect. Yeah. Um, and like, I think that on top of all that, what people need to remember is that like, you can, you know, actors can take risks, but you know, they also can, everything is very controlled. So like somebody may have improvised, but they also may have gone to a director and been like, what do you think about this? Or what if I add this? And like, yeah. it's still a collaboration. Also the writer, the producers are often all on set anyway. So like they can. Yeah. And, and on top of all that, imagine you like make a choice to go a different way. It's somebody's job to track you with the camera. And then it's an entirely different person's job to make sure that you're in focus, to know the yardage away that you are from the camera. Like, I, I really feel like people truly, unless they're on a film set, will never grasp how difficult 
and how much hard work it is. And also at the same time, what little recognition and respect people in the industry get, you know, like not to mention like, you know, Peter does this amazing sound design, like all the Oscar categories that got like totally shafted to like commercial breaks, like that just bumps me out. Now, granted, sometimes their speeches are like, I love you, my kids. And it's like, all right, congratulations to your kids. But at the same time, those categories still have a lot of validity and being rewarded and especially like sound effects and VFX and music and costume design and makeup, all of these elements of a story that people don't worship at the altar of either the director or the cinematographer or the actor, I think deserve credit, respect, and and, um, and not only analyses, but like deserve your effort into looking into why they're, why you like it, like what you like, yeah. you know? And just like to like give behind the scenes, if you've never been on a film set, most of those are five weekdays at minimum, 12 to 14 hour days. So there's not a ton of turnaround. And like the people who get more turnaround are the higher ups. Like, so like, there's a lot of like assistant level jobs out there that they have like a whole staff of like 10 people that are running around doing all these things. Production assistants are the first ones to get there and the last ones to leave. So, oh, yeah, there's a union to protect, make sure actors get enough sleep. <laughs> not not, not a, a union to make sure that a PA gets enough sleep. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the so. last the last film set I was on uh, was a film called, Australian film called Accidents Happen. Um, and I was, I had a very small, I had a very small role, but uh, my, uh, my role, rec- well, for a start, I did nap in my trailer quite a lot. Uh, but I had, uh, you know, I closed a door that, prankster boys had put a bucket of water on top of yeah so i was um uh continually being wet and the number of people when the director called cut the number of people that came around me with hair dryers warm blankets uh different Mm. clothes protected me while i changed into the alternate uh costumes made sure no one could see me i mean i didn't make sure you got snacks snacks and food and everything like that for this tiny scene the logistics of the bucket making sure because it was a metal bucket that it didn't hit me all the people that were that were in there in this in this small i mean i i knew anyway but i was i was able to appreciate them and Ooh. you know the the pa that says uh, come comes to your trailer and knocks and and says you know come to set you know yeah <laughs> would you like a snack or i'm sorry we're going to be later can i bring you a cup of tea you think oh my god who am i queen shit doing the <laughs> least amount of work yeah. <laughs> the least amount of work of anybody oh yeah but, um yeah but yeah, this is like I have, I'm glad we talked about this movie and talked about like foreign films, international films, like the industry as a whole, and like I think this was a great discussion. Um, shall we wind this down, friends? So, Sarah, as our guest, let's go to you first. Uh, do you have any plugs that you would like to make? Um, and then also uh, anything pop culturey that you want people to check out that you're not covering. Ooh, oh, very great questions. All right, so you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. I say everything that I'm doing there. Uh, I'm not shy. I have, uh, as Felipe mentioned, a true crime review podcast on RHAP called Crime Scene. That's great scene title. like S-E-E-N. Um, great title, very inspired. Sarah, Sarah, what do you? What crime do you think you could get away with? Like after watching all these docs, what do you think you could like kind of make happen for yourself? Well, criminals, criminals are, are stupid, right? Yes. Um, 
I have got away with crimes in my past. I'm not about to list, list them here. But there is uh, such a thing. <laughs> Listen up, everybody. There's such a thing as white privilege. Uh, and there is also such a thing as a female privilege. And part of that privilege is being underestimated. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm on the straight and narrow now. Um, they were minor. Nobody got hurt. Um, what could I get away with? <clears throat> yes. See, the old days, there wasn't so much tracking of things. You could yeah. get away with a lot more. I could get away with stealing a heart. Ooh. <laughs> Sarah. I love that. Uh, my answer is money laundering, but I don't have any money to launder. So at this you know, point, you it's the like... You sent me the Phineas and Ferb that like Ferb is a money launderer and the whole thing is like a scheme. Was that you or was that someone else? That might have been someone else. It sounds like something that came up on my TikTok for you page. So Okay. Yeah. Our money's plastic, so you can actually... It can be in the pocket of your jeans as you throw it through the laundry. It comes out exactly the same. So, <laughs> and uh, I just uh, covered uh, Candy, Candy on Hulu over on Post Show Recaps uh, a week or two ago now. Uh, they're short and sharp, forty-minute I... episodes. It was my, it was my, my secret uh, goal was to get some forty-minute episodes up on the Post Show Recaps feed. <laughs> I, I love the fact that you went for it. You were like the sole host and then you would have like rotating co-hosts, I believe is how you did it. Yes. No? Yes. Okay. That was circumstantial. That was um, artists using the restrictions to their, to their benefit. Um, yeah. But as it turned out, I, I, I liked it a lot and it may be a, um, a format that we use. Uh, I like that format again. a lot. Um, I yes. have someone who does that format. Uh, yes. With things. Uh, yes. Yeah, and then, so what's your pop culture plug? My pop culture plug is a an Australian book called The Arsonists. Uh, so that's a, a nonfiction that you might like to look at. Is it true or, crime? <laughs> eh, so it's sort of crime. And my other pop culture is a wonderful book called Misadventures in the Screen Trade by Alison Ripley-Cubitt, which is a, a contemporary of mine uh, about how she started in the 80s in this crazy thing we call a film industry. Yeah. She ended up working for Mickey and Goofy uh, into Alia. So that's another good one for you. And that I'm watching, yeah, and I'm watching the latest uh, series of Taskmaster uh, UK. Naomi's favorite. Yeah. Well, uh, well, then that brings the question, Sarah, who's your current favorite contestant uh, on uh, Taskmaster Series 13 we're on right now? 13? We're on Series 13. I can see her face. I love her so much. She's the one I love. Judy, Sophie, or Bridget? Uh, Sophie. I uh, Bridget, too, because yeah. she does her tasks dressed as an Italian gunslinger. I mean, yep. come on. And yeah. I love I love Judy Love, but it is, yes, yeah, Sophie. Um, Sophie. Sophie Duker, yeah. Sophie Duker, yeah. When Australian Survivor 7 started, I put out a tweet that someone on this season reminds me of Naomi Calhoun. And it was Sophie, a different Sophie. But um, after watching more, oh, yeah. I don't know if I see it, but in that first episode, I was like, oh, this lady is Naomi to a T. Um, I find myself more often than not identifying with Harry Hill in many aspects of the way I play Survivor, but mostly lying about how much I like children. So <laughs> Yes, yes. He is uh, he is one of my favorites. See, I'm a Nick Iadanza stanza. Oh, um, come on. 
I, I am too, but uh, respectfully, he tweeted an insane thing about how Marianne is like one of the top five Survivor winners, and I was just like, Survivor characters. Survivor characters. I would disagree. Top five. Uh, I love Marianne to bits and pieces, but I top still five think... Survivor character winners. It was a very specific oh. character winners. Even character even that, winners. if Fabio didn't make the list, and I and I I can't. Sandra, Tony, Fabio. Okay. Fabio is well. I, when they did the um, when they did the uh, the, the countdown, I did the I did even the David Janot. I think is also up there. So is yeah. he a character though? I think he's a character. The Golden God is a character. It's a shtick. Like it's it's very pew 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 pew. <laughs> Iron Man. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyways, <laughs> we're getting you know, off the rails. What's happening over on Mike White was robbed and the Obi Wan podcast and anything else you got and LRGs. Yeah. You're just Felipe. I'll plug myself. Don't worry about man. You're getting ahead of me, man. Um. Okay. So Mike White was robbed. Two new episodes, brand spanking new episodes, plus a third in the queue that I know you'll be excited about. We had Alex Rizard from The Circle season four talking to me about the shot in the dark, and we had my great friend, uh, Canadian music writer Matt Bobkin talking about abolishing the survivor the Survivor reunion. Two fantastic episodes, and I have in the the hopper haven't edited it yet uh an episode with navi uh <gasps> talking about sherry from caramoan you guys have the exclusive here so i can't wait to get into that i'm so um, excited wonderful. navi is fantastic uh oh yeah check out her episode of the neo movies um i love navi so much this is a navi stan account this is a navi stan account um and then okay over over on silent podcast I just released an episode of Top Chef Houston coverage uh, with the Mike Bloom, as well as my queens, Gia and Jayworthy and Nicole Horn. That episode is super fucking funny. Mike Bloom does a Kermit the Frog impression in the end. So you really need to stick around for the whole thing. Um, and then, yes, Katie and Isaiah and myself are talking about the Obi-Wan's limited series on Disney+. Plus. That was fun. Only... We have done the first two episodes, and then we did episode three just last night. That was great. And on top of that, I was on the RHAP Rewind a couple of weeks ago that I really loved. Not the RHAP Rewind. Rewind was Rewind? Not RIP. The Nothing But Netflix episode where we talked about uh, fucking the Abercrombie documentary. But Yes. (laughs) That's so good. Everybody has to listen to that episode. (laughs) Yes, thank you, Sarah. You're very nice. Yeah, you're true. very nice about it. Uh, not only that, but I also want to plug what else? Uh, oh, okay. The television show I worked on called Somebody Feed Phil. I have been working on that no, show. I thought it was Somebody Better Feed Phil. Yeah, Felipe, Felipe's adorable friend said that the show is called like Better Feed Phil in, in maybe it translates differently in a country, but that just makes it sound like a Yeah, my friend's from call. Brazil, uh, so she might have like it might have translated that, but she said she loves it. And then Nan was like, not Better Call Saul, Better Feed Phil. Yeah, uh, but Somebody Feed Phil is a television show that I've worked on for almost a full year at this point, but I also worked on it uh, for last, seasons three and four, and now season five is coming out right now. Season six is out, and there is not to be like, you know, we talked a lot about artists loving their art. Uh, and not that I really had anything to do with this except for buying plane tickets and making sure everyone had releases. But the Oaxaca episode is so beautiful. And I think that in the United States, there is not enough positive media representation about people from Mexico and the relationship that we have in the United States to Mexico as a country. We are assholes. And Mexico has a lot of beauty 
and diversity and uh, culture within it. And uh, obviously this is an episode where a white guy goes to Oaxaca and like, you know, just walks around and is like, oh, the food tastes good. But at the same time, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful episode. Um, and, and the city just seems so vibrant and fun. So I really recommend people at least check that episode out. And on top of that, keep listening to the Neo movies because uh, we got, you know, the hits keep coming. Yeah. And Nicole Kidman keeps introducing us, you know? We're in negotiations for our next episode already. Uh, someone put out a tweet last night that inspired me. Um, but uh, yeah, so in terms of the Neo movies, let me start here. The Neo movies has its own podcast feed. Yay! It's officially, all the episodes are out. Uh, one of my goals of 2022 was to expand individual podcasts into making them accessible for people who have specific interests. And the Neo movies, I think, is a fun podcast that deserves its own feed. Along with that, I recently uh, have been putting out Pod Talk Jam and Break podcasts in their own feed and Scooby Snacks and Chats as well. Um, over here on the Brazilian Dragon Media Empire that we're building out, uh, it, we got Sundays, we have uh, Pretty Little Liars coverage uh, on the Dragon Babies feed and also the individual Two Can't Keep a Secrets feed hosted by the lovely Jay Debro and AJ Norris, whose birthday is coming up. I'm excited about that. Um, and they are doing Pretty Little Liars rewatch. Uh, Jay has seen it multiple times. AJ has never seen it. The podcast is almost as wild as the show, which is saying something because that show is bananas. Uh, their most recent episode was with Lavina a couple of weeks ago. They're on a little bit of a hiatus trying to figure out scheduling. Uh, some life events have happened, but that's a great podcast series that I highly encourage. On Tuesdays, we got the main feed Brazilian Dragon Show. This week, it's going to be the Nail Movies, this one that you're listening to right now. Um, then on Tuesdays, we also have the Gravity Brothers podcast and the Dragon Babies and the Gravity Brothers feeds. Uh, I was on the most recent episode talking about season one, episode 11, Little Dipper. If you like animated shows, this one is kind of Scooby-Doo meets comic books meets Lost, if I had to describe it. I highly I mean, recommend it. there's nothing else it's to say. Gravity Falls is like a show that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. And, and there's only so there's so much positive to say about like the creator and like the 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 show itself so i i wreck highly yes naomi you've got to get on that and i like i think you're you would have phenomenal insights on that uh and it's on disney plus if you're interested in checking that show out uh and then thursdays uh we were recording an episode of we want to be famous last night unfortunately dealt with some unseen technical difficulties halfway through someone's computer just died so uh, we have to postpone this week's episode to next week. But by the time you listen to this, hopefully it's going to be out in two days. Uh, that's me and Autumn talking about total drama. Uh, we're going to go through, we're guaranteeing the first three seasons. And we'll see uh, how much more we do after that. But that's both on the Brazilian Dragon main feed and on We Want to Be Famous. Um, and then uh, just in terms of other podcasts, oh, What You Doing should be back. Also, we've had... Will had a wedding. I was sick. Uh, and then, yeah, so a couple of hiccups in recording schedules. Um, but uh, I also have a podcast with Dr. A two-part podcast with Dr. Amanda in the works. Uh, Camp Rock 2 with Nicole Horn is scheduled. It's been two years in the making. And then another summer camp movie with the, uh, not the imaginary. She's, she's not imaginary. She's amazing. Grace. Um, so I'm excited for that. And also speaking of Grace, I will be covering a movie with her later this month, and I might be appearing on a project of hers uh, well, that I, she started yesterday. Yes. Well, I, I that was going to be my quote-unquote pop culture plug is, is 
everyone should be listening to the the Pride is Spoken. Uh, mm. I was listening today, and what a wonderful series! And I think a wonderful analysis of Survivor. I mean, just just to be under the realization that Bryce was the first gay black man on Survivor in season twenty eight. Is, and there's only been one other, I believe. Is astounding. Is astounding in in what was it? Jeremy from David vs. Goliath. Thirty seven. Yeah. And insane. like insane. something that I would like to bring up, uh, should schedules align and I get to be part of it, um, is JP Calderon was the first Latino queer person, and I guess Ozzy too, but they weren't out at the time. Mm. And then it took until Ricard for the next openly queer Latino man. Um, 41, my God. 41, and Romeo this season, 42. So we're mm-hmm. going in a good direction, but like yeah. it's the intersectionality is important to discuss. Um, so it's, it was such it was such a great conversation, and I love that that the two yeah. people having the conversation had both been on Survivor uh, and were both from the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah. And I'm excited because I told it's Ricard such a great chat. I, loved I didn't it. know that I met Ricard last week at the finale. I told him that I was asked to potentially be part of this podcast and I would like to talk about him. He's like, oh, is that the thing Evie's doing? Because I already recorded something with them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, awesome. And I know I don't want to like jump their plugs, but no, that was yeah. something that I'm excited yeah. to seek out because I know of another person that told me that they were going to be great. on it. But, oh, that um, is great. But it goes, I mean, it goes beyond, um, it just goes beyond everything that you think it's going to be about. And it was yeah. such a, such a wonderful, such a wonderful conversation. Yeah. And then um, Grace and Matt uh, with the, with the book. Two amazing people. Country. Like, I just want to give them their flowers. But uh, Grace was a camp counselor. So we're going to do another camp related movie as well. Uh, that I, I guess could be a Naomi movie, but I didn't include Naomi in the discussion and I know you're busy, but uh, I can't do, well, I can't yeah. do summer camp movies because I'm too, uh, I'm too emotionally invested in summer camp movies and I always get yeah. mad about how bad and inattentive the counselors Very are. Very fair. But, uh, but can I just, can movie. I just also just, just um, stop and be clear for people. This is their first thing they've ever heard or they don't know the people we're talking about or the network we're talking about. We're talking about RHAP, and the podcast is called The Pride Has Spoken. Yes. Um, and so Grace and I might be talking about Camp Nowhere in the next coming weeks. Uh, but uh, I, in terms of pop culture plugs, there's so many out there these days. But uh, we've been talking a lot about film and TV and the industry and production design. Um, I know everyone out there, like there's so many people out there who love the Marvel movies. But if you've never watched the Marvel assembling doc- documentaries that they put out, uh, since uh, the Disney Plus show started. So like there's one for WandaVision, all these new movies and shows. If you like Marvel content and you are interested in this aspect of film and TV, I think those are so incredible. The Shang-Chi one really stands out in my mind for the production design, the martial arts training, like all the like things you don't necessarily think about as much when you're watching a movie, but like they went into detail of the bus scene and how that was made and shot and created. So uh, just to keep in line with that, um, yeah, I could have plugged something else, but I think because of this conversation, I wanted to plug that. Um, do we have a hashtag for people who got to the end of this episode? Hashtag Mundi Mundi. Mundi Mundi. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yes. Tweet at myself. And Naomi, you're at, at Naomi Calhoun, I think. You, you might not you have mentioned don't, that. And don't you forget it. Yes. 
Yes. And I'm at what the fleep on all social media and the Brazilian dragon podcast is at Brazilian dragon podcast.com online. And then also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Brazil dragon pod. Um, with all that said, you may now uh, turn on your cell phones. I hope you enjoyed the, the bucket of popcorn that you brought and let's all go to the lobby. Everyone. Goodbye. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.